Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today I'm joined by Dave Prentice, Gav Buckland and Adam Jones as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park and look ahead to tomorrow's lunchtime kickoff of the visit of Manchester United and their under-fire manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Plenty to get through today in today's preview pod, so we will get stuck in. And team news, Carlo Ancelotti holding his pre-match press conference at Finch Farm this afternoon. And the team news is very positive. James Rodriguez-Preno is fit, although interestingly... Carlo doesn't actually think he's 100% fit, but he's going to play. Um, well, that underlines the quality that he brings to the squad that you know, so other players don't have. We've spoken to it before. He makes things happen. Um, he creates opportunities out of nothing and his set-piece delivery is absolutely unsurpassed. So, yeah, you can understand why he's probably prepared to uh, to use him, even though he's not fully fit. Uh, but, you know, for me, the most important thing is the fullbacks. Uh, obviously, Lucas Digne is available again. Am I right in saying Seamus Coleman is, uh, is yes, available now? absolutely, uh, yeah. two, two massive additions. I mean, Rodriguez is very important, you know, don't get me wrong, but equally having those two back in the fold again, it just makes things so much more expansive, so much more solid. Uh, they add so much to the game. So, yeah, this fingers crossed would be a completely different ever since the one we've seen from the last two matches. And it's important that we do perform well. Otherwise, people start to think, ah, oh, well, a bit of a flash in the pan, that start of the season. You know, if we can get a good performance and a good result, it makes those two games look like a blip, you know, so rather than the actual way we started the season. Gav, we'll come back to the fullbacks because I want to, I want to speak about right back in particular. But with Rodriguez, so Carlo was making light of the situation, saying Hammers tells me he's one hundred percent fit. I'm not convinced, but he's going to play anyway. Preno <laughs> rightly says, um, you know, it emphasises his quality. Does it also, Gav, emphasise that perhaps we don't really have a backup for him? Well, we saw that last week, didn't we? Um... We don't, and this is the danger, isn't it? It, it? You know, Hamas's injury record has not been the best, and that, and that is, if you've got a quality backup, then sometimes you can, you can, you know, um, sort of leave them on the bench or not include them, knowing that, you know, you will, will have some impact, but not as much as what you would think. And uh, I totally agree with that. Uh, I also think. And there's two other factors. I think the fact is an international play for a fortnight. So he won't be playing for Everton for another two weeks comes into it. And also the fact that United's defence is a little, little bit leaky, isn't it? As we saw mm. during the week. <laughs> so um, I think there's other factors as well. Um, but that's definitely one of them. And, and and as I say, that is a big danger, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't think you can ever... Can you ever... I mean, not a professional footballer, but can you miss a game through injury then come back 100% fit? Well, we'll find out, will we? Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Is is it's it's a bit difficult, isn't it? Certainly, match fitness and stuff. Um, 
I, I, I'm not sure about Carlo's statement there, but he's been a manager for a hugely successful one, successful one for 20 odd years. So you might aquarium, but yeah, it is a worry, Phil. Going back to your point, uh, and and uh, and one that will happen this year, I mm. think on a on a, not just this weekend. Yeah, Adam, you know, you know, Hammers um, was was a doubt going into the Southampton game, as we know, and Carlo. One day saying he was out, the next saying he was fit, and and obviously there's a bit of fallout from that. It didn't strike. So it struck me at Southampton that Hammers was not a hundred percent, and he was, for large parts, a fairly peripheral figure in that game, albeit within the context of a very poor performance from Everton, who were not necessarily getting him the ball as he as he needed it. Um, as Gav sort of alludes to and suggests that, is it any concern for you? That he may not be a hundred percent fit, and, and and you know, but will start tomorrow. Uh, not particularly, because I I personally think that we probably haven't seen Hamas Rodriguez a hundred percent fit throughout the season. To be honest, because when he first joined up, and of course he had not not much football under his belt since I think it was February, wasn't it? You think he only yeah. had maybe one game since February. So I, I highly doubt that he was ever a hundred percent fit. He only had a few weeks of training to get fit, and then. He was thrown straight into the Spurs game, wasn't he? You know, uh, I, I doubt that he was ever 100% fit, even before he picked up this injury. It might take a little while for him to get up to that 100% fitness, but I think what makes him so important for the side is the, the way that he plays the game, the way that he reads it, the way that he just, you know, we've all looked at that uh, statistic uh, pattern, maybe slightly misleading statistic about his sprints, but, you know, he doesn't really sprint uh, by that, by that logic, all that much uh, throughout games. I don't think he particularly needs to be 100% fit to be such an influential player into this team. He just adds so much creativity, so much spark. He, he inspires those around him. And I think, you know, it was it was painfully obvious that Everton weren't using him enough uh, against Southampton. And, you know, I think it was obvious that Seamus Coleman was out and Richarlison was out as well. Obviously, other factors played a part in that one rather than and there's Rodriguez not being 100% fit. So I'm, I'm not going to be too concerned that, you know, about Hamed Rodriguez's fitness. If he thinks that he's fit and if Carlo trusts him, he said that obviously he's not going to risk him in terms of in terms of maybe re- recurring the injury. So there's no chance of that. He's he's, he's going to be fit enough to uh, to play in that sense. So I'd, I'd, have no, uh, I'd have no trouble throwing him straight in in that sense. Let me... Um... Let me read a quote that, that Carlo gave to uh, France Football this week. Um, we use them, running statistics, especially in training. But I'm going to tell you something. When I signed Hammers, everyone was worried about his physical state and to see how he coped with the intensity of the Premier League. During the first four games, do you know how many times he sprinted? Seven. He's got more <laughs> assists and goals than he did sprints. So what are we talking about? Of what we expect a player to do on the pitch? Question mark. So maybe that answers my question, Bruno. Yeah, I've said this before. I know uh, on a previous pod, I likened him uh, to a degree to Kevin Sheedy, um, who you know had similar expertise from set pieces, and he was probably involved in. Had a rough guess at about a third of all the goals Everton you know saw scored in that you know sort of wonderful period in the mid eighties, either creating or scoring them himself, and. He doesn't press James Rodriguez. He doesn't need to. Um, he doesn't like go on sprints because the quality that he has on the ball um, is just sets him apart from everybody else. So yeah, you understand why um, Carlo is prepared to 
I wouldn't say indulge him a little bit because they're not indulging him. The guy's got absolute quality. And he said right from the word go, he's a good footballer, simple as that. So, yeah, you know, so if he's available, he will always play. Uh, if he's not quite, you know, so 100% fit, he'll probably play anyway because he brings something a little bit different. I mean, football nowadays is so much about athleticism and about intensity and about, you know, the ability to, you know, sort of give that extra 1%, 2%. So the players that have got that gilding of class and that gilding of vision probably stand out and are probably more important as a result. And we've got one. Hamas Rodriguez is one of those players. So, yeah, you know, if he's in any way approaching any degree of fitness, he'll play. And Carla will pick him week after week, you know, regardless of his physical condition. Gav, so as, as, as Preno alluded to very much at the start of the podcast, you know, the importance of Rodriguez, but the importance, of course, of both first-choice fullbacks coming back, Luca Dean, we all know, and, and, and rate highly, you know, you know, as well as defensively to assist in the league this season and what he offers going forward as a threat. Um, but talk to me about the right-back situation, where it seems the, the, sort of the intonation and, and, and what was sort of inferred at the press conference was Coleman's fit, Brackets and he's gonna he's gonna start again. He is first choice. Where's John Joe Kenny in all of this? Came back after loan a season long loan at Schalke, had an opportunity in the League Cup, got injured, then was given an opportunity in the league against Newcastle. Is he pushing Coleman? Is this a genuine 50-50 battle? Or is Seamus quite clearly number one and first choice? Uh, Seamus number one, first choice. Uh, I think based on what I've seen for Kenny um, last week and also when he's previously played for Everton, um, and, and that's that's it. And that's a this you know some of these principles they've just said about Hamas uh, Rodriguez also apply to Seamus, don't they? Mm. Um, maybe to a lesser degree, and it, it is the right back is a bit of a bit of concern, I think. Um, but yeah, definitely Seamus is the is yeah, I would say ninety ten in Seamus's favour, shall we say? I think I th- think also as well on the right hand side there, Phil, which it goes back to your first question is there's a bit of a mismatch I think we've got in terms of we haven't got pace a lot of pace on the right hand side, have we? No. Compared to the left hand side. And going back to the Hamas Rodriguez thing about not having the replacements. If you did have a replacement for Hamas Rodriguez, I wouldn't want another Hamas Rodriguez. I'd want somebody who's a bit like Richarlison. You know, because mm. we do we do have a mis- mismatch in terms of attributes of players on 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 the left hand right left hand right hand sides of the pitch. So, and, so, uh, so, so Gav, we'll stop you there because it was going to be a, a point in the in the pod that I want to speak about later, but we'll bring it up now because it's relevant. As, as I'm sure everybody listening to this is aware, that there was a report in one of the national newspapers last Saturday saying that Everton could be interested in trying to loan Isco from Real Madrid in January. Yeah. Um, obviously, I, I asked Carlo on Sunday. He was very coy and said, oh, fantastic player of whom I have fantastic memories, uh, but I'm not focused on this at the moment. So are yeah, you saying that an Isco type of player actually isn't what we need if we are going to go and search for backup uh, in, in the winter window? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean... I think didn't he really keep Rodriguez out of Real Madrid for a bit? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I I think I think on the right hand side, basically we need pace. Yeah, and we haven't got it at the moment. I mean, Seamus is obviously, you know, can, over a short space can um, sort of most a little bit, but 
he, he's not the player he was like that, like he was 2012, 2015, say. If you compare the, the attributes of the two lads on the left to the two lads on the right, there's a, uh, there's a difference, isn't there? It goes mm. back to Preno's point about athleticism. Um, and uh, that is that is something that I think we need to, you know, we need to correct. Yeah, and I think that's a fair point about Zisco. Adam, mm. what's your thoughts on that in terms of, look, we, we, we don't know for certain how serious the interest in Isco is. Obviously, as, as we mentioned, Carlo was, was coy, but certainly didn't knock it down on Sunday. Um, is, is Isco the type of player that this squad needs or do we need to actually replace, for want of a better, in inverted commas, Theo Walcott and the type of attributes he has, which Gav alludes to, which is pace, more direct running, a bit more in the Richarlison profile. Um, what do you think? Mm. I think it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because I feel like deep down, I, feel, I find it hard to say that Everton shouldn't be signing a player like Isco because at the end of the day, Isco is an absolutely phenomenal footballer. Like He wouldn't be playing for Real Madrid otherwise. So he's another one like similar to James Rodriguez on his day. He can absolutely change things in, for Everton. And you know, if he if he's the man that Carl Ancelotti wants to bring him, if he's up for coming, then I'd, I'd really find it hard to say that Everton wouldn't wouldn't uh, be better off with a player like that. Like, well, for example, let's say, would you rather be playing Isco or Gilfie Sigurdsson? I think I'd probably rather be playing Isco at the minute. Yeah, uh, but in terms of in terms of the other part of your question, I'd, I I would agree that I think I think that right hand side is somewhere that we need to address a little bit more because I think James Rodriguez, while he's been playing very well on that on that flank, he so often drifts inside into those central positions, doesn't he? And that's what we kind of want him to see, want him to do. We want him to be in those central areas, you know, dictating the play, making those passes through to you know Charleston or Dean on that flank or Calvert Lewin. And obviously he can do it from that right hand side, but uh, I think I think Gab's right in what he says that we do need a bit of a a bit of pace down that right hand side as well. I wouldn't mind seeing Anthony Gordon tried there, to be honest, uh, up until we perhaps bring somebody in because I think he does have bags of pace and I think he's he's more than deserving of his chance on on the wing in you know either either on the right wing or the left wing. I don't think it particularly matters where he plays. I think he's He's got the quality to play on either flank through the middle. Very versatile player, but yeah, if it, if if let's say we try it out and it doesn't work out for Gordon, then he prefers to play on the left or something like that. Then yeah, I would say that a bit of pace down the right hand side, especially seeing as we've uh, lost Theo Walcott, and you know, if he if he had nothing else, he had pace down that right hand side. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I, I do think that's probably something that we need to replace. Yeah, we'd certainly play Gordon on the left um, tomorrow. Preno, thoughts on that? It certainly was our information ahead of the window opening in the summer and, and certainly through the early part of the window that it was that alternative type of player that actually Everton were looking for somebody. They were looking for somebody um, who, who offered something different to Walcott. But now Walcott's gone. It almost feels like maybe there's a case, as, as Gavin Adam have, have, have argued strongly for there, to find somebody to, to, with more direct... Uh, approach play and, and a bit more in the Richarlison style. Yeah, it's, it's all about a balance, isn't it? And, you know, if you've got Richarlison on one side, you know, so offering, you know, so pace and penetration, you can maybe indulge, you know, somebody like Rodriguez, who obviously has different qualities on the other flank. 
So, I mean, bottom line for me is good players, simple as that. Doesn't you know, mm. matter what, what kind of qualities they bring to the squad as long as they've got, you know, sort ability and got quality. And mentioning Anthony Gordon there, it's, it's a surprise. I don't know if you wanted to talk about it at all today, but just I'm really surprised that, you know, sort of the lack of opportunity he's had this season. I know Carlo has said today that, you know, it's not his job to develop players. It's it's his job to focus on the, the here and now and, you know, so and, and the first team, you know, so capable of getting the results on a particular day. But I just think on the fleeting occasions we've seen Anthony Gordon this season, was it a full appearance against Salford when he looked great? Okay, it's only Salford. And we saw with Nkonku, you know, so how different it can be starring in a, a Carabao Cup tie and get, trying to do it in a Premier League game. But equally, I think he got 45 minutes against Fleetwood, was it? And then half an hour again in Southampton. And each time looked really bright and really purposeful. And he does have slightly different qualities uh, to, to Hammers in terms of penetration and his pace. And it was interesting what Adam said there about maybe giving him an opportunity on that flank, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to cut in. Just surprised that we haven't seen him, you know, so tried mm. more as an option. But, you know, as we always say in these pods, you know, what do we know compared to what Carlo knows? And he sees these players on a daily basis on the training pitch and therefore makes his decisions based on that. Uh, but I'm, I'm just a little bit surprised that we haven't seen more of him. Uh, to be honest, you know, so on occasions this season, mm, I'm, sure, I'm sure many people listening to this pod would agree with you there, Brian. I think uh, I think it feels from the outside that Anthony is is deserving of a, of a start at some point very soon. So let's see what the manager picks tomorrow. Um, Gav, the manager, the man in the uh, opposite dugout tomorrow is under oh. pressure. Um, obviously, a bit bit of a uh, difficult evening in Europe for Manchester United in the week, back to back defeats. Um, I know, look, we're not here to sort of dwell on on, on Manchester United world particularly, but it's a factor in the game tomorrow. Do you think it's unfair that Solskjaer is seemingly under pressure? No. Um, the expectations of Man United are such that I think that they're in the bottom half. I mean, I can't remember the last time we played Man United when we were in the bottom half of the table. Um, I, uh, I, I think he deserves to be under pressure. I think there was a good point raised today that He's not done well enough to justify keeping his job, but he's not done badly enough to justify, you know, you're definitely getting the bullet. Uh, but yeah, I think so. I mean, some, I mean, the, the one thing that sort of hasn't helped them is all their good performance have been away from home. You know, they were those stats, which is winning for us tomorrow. I think I said before, last 15 domestic away matches, they won 13 through two. Um, when they have played badly, it's been an old Safford, and that's tended to put a little bit more scrutiny on on, on their performances and uh, Solskjaer's progress. So uh, I think he des- fully deserves it. Um, so um, what that what that means for us tomorrow, I don't know. It can work both ways, can't it? They are very dangerous away from home, um, largely. Um, so I think... Um, I- I'm not so not entirely saying that the boss two this week Solskjaer's under pressure, but I will be low there for it. It'll be an easy win for Everton tomorrow. Doesn't doesn't work for me. I think it'd be a tough game because they are dangerous away from home. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. 
You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Adam, what about Carlo's assertion uh, that we carried earlier in the week that when when playing uh, the sides who are in Europe, especially in a week when they've they've had European fixtures, we will have a physical advantage going into the game. And of course, we know that Solskjaer had lobbied the Premier League to have this game pushed back, of course, unsuccessfully and, and, and was particularly cheesed off about it. And do you sense that this is, this is a really good time, all things considered, to, to be playing at Manchester United? I think we can have a physical advantage, but it really depends on which Everton shows up. If it's the Everton that shows up against Southampton and Newcastle, then we can have all the physical advantage we want. If we play, if we play like that and stand off, and you know we're slow and tepid with our football, then we're just playing straight into Manchester United's hands. We need to really push home that physical advantage right from the first minute, and that's probably where we're going to be missing Richarlison the most uh, this weekend because obviously he's so good at pressing from the front and closing defenders down. You know his defensive work in terms of you know somebody is so effective going forward is really really good as well so i think that's probably where we're going to be missing him most and it, it's another one that you you'd think well anthony gordon will probably fit really well into that because you could imagine him uh, being really quick and harassing defenders in that sense as well but you know alex awobi's done it in the past as well but perhaps didn't really show that against newcastle or southampton during his time on the pitch but Hmm. Yeah, I think it's all about just pressing home that physical advantage more than anything and pressing home the home advantage because, you know, while Manchester United have been really strong away from home, Everton have been really strong at home as well. Only been beaten once at home under Carlo Ancelotti since he's joined the club. So I think that's that's something that Everton have really got to try and take advantage of as well. Absolutely. And obviously try and shake this. Richarlison, who do, of course, still chasing the first league victory when the Brazilian is not available. Um, Prenna, moving on to somebody else. Um, the message was clear from Carlo Ancelotti today at his press conference. He starts, of course, talking about Jordan Pickford. Uh, any surprise for you that he, uh, the, the manager has stuck, stuck with what he's, he said last Sunday and, and that, that Pickford will be back in the team for tomorrow? No, um, I, I just reiterate what, what I said last week, that it was a, a curious decision to, to pull him out of the spotlight, notwithstanding how well Robin Olsen did. You know, so he, he was excellent. He was you know very reassuring presence throughout that game. But by taking Jordan Pickford out, I just think that probably cast a little bit more scrutiny and a little bit more focus and attention on him uh, than by continuing with him playing. I mean, it broke that long, long run that he had of, uh, you know, sort of playing, you know, sort of Premier League games. Will he have benefited from having that time out of the spotlight? I don't know. We've said so many times that he's a guy that seems to want to be involved all the time, possibly too much. Um, and is that going to make him even more anxious to, pro- you know, to prove a point tomorrow and to be involved? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, if, if he hadn't brought him back, you know, there would have been question marks galore, I suppose, about him, people talking about his future. I mean, Gareth Southgate uh, spoke very positively about him once again this week as he's continued to do so. So I suppose he had to bring him back in. Uh, otherwise, you know, so fingers do get pointed. But, it, it, but as we said all along, it's up to Jordan. You know, so he's got to produce a performance that just reassures people, you know, so not be too demonstrative, not be too involved, just be called upon to, to act when he needs to. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a big afternoon for him and he will be busy. I think we can safely say that. You know, United, as we've said, 
their away form has been very, very good. And they've got quality throughout the side. You know, they're capable of, you know, sort of getting shots on target. And it's up to Jordan to try and deal with them. But no, I'm not surprised to see him uh, back in the starting lineup. But it's a big day for him. Um, I'll paraphrase something else that Carlos said about Pickford, Gav. It was that you say, "No, look, we've we, we talk every day. We've you know we've had a good week." And um, he told me that Sunday was the first time he'd been dropped for seven years, and 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 I was surprised. He's still a young goalkeeper. He's a 26 year old footballer coming into what he'll be 27 in March. Is he still young, or he's actually is he should be should he be hitting his prime? I won't say he's young. Um, I don't want to toss out the hackneyed old phrase that goalkeepers reach their peak <laughs> later than our field players. But I would, I would never say, I'd never say he's young. Um, he's played, he's been at Evan now, is it three years, three and a half yeah. years? Mm, um, I, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say young. If it was 2017, 18, I'd probably say it's young. But I think 27 is. Is you know maybe not peak years of the goalkeeper, but he's sort of entering them, isn't he? He's closer. Put it this way: he's closer to his peak years what he is to the start of his career. Um, and to be honest with you, that's the type of thing we've been speaking about, haven't we? When legitimately, when Jordan's had stick over the last two or three years over maybe more his behaviour on the pitch rather than his ability, people have questioned the temperature. Temperament. I've questioned his temperament in relation to the fact that actually he should be growing out of those things as he matures, you know. And and I think 27 to me is not young um, for a for a goalkeeper or a professional footballer. To be honest with you. Um, Adam, there's obviously currently four goalkeepers in the first team squad at Everton. Um, we'll we'll sort of put Jal Virginia to one side at the moment because obviously he is young and, and obviously learning his trade. Um, Obviously, you know, you spoke about Olsen on Monday, but what will what will Jonas Lossel be thinking? It feels like he's back to square one. I, th- I think that's exactly what he's going to be thinking. I think he'll he'll just have in his mind when is he going to get his chance? Because I know he probably would have been thinking that last season as well, and that's obviously why he secured that loan move to Huddersfield. But you know, it very quickly came apparent that Huddersfield, even before the COVID pandemic, were never going to be able to afford him on a permanent basis so he was going to be in a sense back to square one when he came to Everton and it was a case of fighting for his place again but yeah, there must be there must be something going on you know he might he must not be showing enough in training because he's he's regularly being left out on the sidelines and you know having he's still not made a competitive appearance for Everton which is you know baffling really <laughs> considering mm, yeah. he's been at, he's been at the club for nearly a season and a half now uh, obviously with that low move aside as well but yeah it, it it really is a concern for him because obviously he's back he's back at the situation that he was at last season and the, the whole reason that he moved out on loan was because he wanted regular game time to try and get into the Denmark squad for the Euros and he's in he's going to be in that exact same position again uh, I can only see a loan move coming in January for him surely because you can't just sit around on the bench at Everton if he has hopes of getting into that squad and obviously you'll want to be displacing you know, a player like Kasper Schmeichel in that squad as well. You know, he's not going to be able to do that unless he's getting regular game time somewhere. And you know, with the amount of trust that I think Carlo Ancelotti rightly has in Jordan Pickford, uh, with the performance of Robin Olsen on his debut, it looks like he's going to be a really competent backup as well. Uh, we've got a 
promising young goalkeeper and Joe Virginia as part of the uh, part of the 23's fringe on the first team as well. I just don't think there's a place for Jonas Lossel at Everton, to be honest. So uh, I think I can only see another loan move coming in January, and wherever that might be, he just needs game time. <laughs> it, it's game time that Everton just can't give him. Mm. Phil, Phil, can yeah. I just add additional points just on Carlo's point while I think about it? I think where he might be coming from is that Jordan was a relatively late starter, wasn't he, in the Premier League? Well, not, he was 23, was he, when he played for Sunderland, something like that? So he's only really had, is it, four years Premier League experience? Yeah. He was on loan, wasn't he, or, you know, for a number of clubs for, for several Preston, years? And, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And I'm just wondering what Carlo means by that is, okay, he may not be young in age, but maybe as a goalkeeper in terms of being a proper Premier League experienced keeper, there's still maybe another season or two before he gets to that that level, you know? I mean does he does he just just for argument's sake, you know, does he does he is that a, a you know a valid excuse because, you know, plenty of goalkeepers come into the Premier League, you know, and if they've never played here before and, and you know, yeah, well, to hear to hear came here when he was what twenty two, something like that. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm just thinking. You forget Jordan when he came to Reading. He'd only had one Premier League season, hadn't he? Mm. Yeah. You know, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just thinking. It's not as if he's been playing. Though he's twenty six, twenty seven. It's not as if he's been playing in the Premier League since he was twenty. No. You know, so I, I I can see a little bit where Carlo's coming from there, but I don't necessarily hundred percent agree with what he's mm. saying. Yeah. And Carlo, of course, has, has made no uh, made no secret of the fact that you know he will continue to rotate as he sees fit with with Olsen, it seemingly in, in the driving seat. Um, just it, it's sort of Olsen related and, and, and a little bit disco related. It feels as though Jonas Lossel was was brought in as the goalkeeper to provide pressure for Jordan Pickford, and it felt like it was a player certainly that, that Marcel Brands had gone out and, and, and found, you know, free transfer, played in the Premier League for two years and, and they felt he was the right option. You know, it, and, and, and Ancelotti has come in and basically it feels like he's gone, no, he's not good enough. This isn't, this isn't yeah. right. We're going to have, we're going to have to go. You're going to have to get me a new goalkeeper. Um, do you feel that, you know, January, Carlo will make demands and will, and do you think he will be um, provided with, with the players he asks for? I'm sure he'll make demands, uh, but I think he's shown in the past that he's not the kind of manager that's going to, uh, you know, sort of throw his toys out the pram. You know, if he's told what he wants isn't achievable and we need to work, you know, sort of within a particular framework. Um, you know, it does seem to be quite a, a mature decision-making process at work here. All parties concerned uh, speak very highly of each other, and there does seem to be a togetherness, which is quite reassuring. Just to, you know, revisiting the goalkeeping situation again. I always find it quite strange. You know, to put, put pressure on the number one. How does a backup goalkeeper do that? I mean, is it just by the you know the, his performances on the training pitch? You know, so every day, because you know, by virtue of his position at the club, he's basically there in case he's needed, in case something happens to the first choice in terms of a loss of form or in terms of uh, an injury. In which case, you need somebody. I, I always think experienced and reliable that can step into the frame rather than somebody who's young and promising. Uh, you want you know, a safer pair of hands, if you like. And for me, Robin Olsen fits that bill perfectly in that, you know, he's an international goalkeeper who showed already, you know, that he fits that kind of remit. And so if, you know, for heaven's sake, something does go wrong with Jordan uh, tomorrow, he does have a bit, you know, poor performance, 
Olsen is probably in a, you know, the best position to come in and you know and fill that breach rather than a young goalkeeper who you're also then thinking, oh, you know, so how's he going to do? So, so, what, so, what, so what's happened to Lossell then? Because he's not a young goalkeeper; he's 30, 31. I don't um, know. It's obviously just something that um, that Carlo doesn't fancy, you know. So quite quite what he's seen, I don't know, because you know we've certainly not seen enough of him uh, at Goodison anyway, you know. So I don't know how he you know performed or how, what the reports were like back during his loan spell. Um, he just wants his own players there. He wants his own men. He's already proved that he's going to um, change the model that the club had initially. You know, so uh, Marcel's model of you know, so bringing in younger players with the ability to develop and have sell-on value. You know, so should that be the case? Um, you know, so some of the players that you know Carlo has brought in have singularly booked that trend and have done so very, very successfully. And I think he'll probably you know try to do that again should he decide that those are the type of players that he wants at the football club. But it doesn't mean that, you know, so everybody's at odds with each other, you know, so that there's a healthy debate to be had, you know, so people mm. discuss things, you know, so in a in a sensible manner and hopefully come with the right come with the right decision that suits the benefits of the football club. Mm, absolutely. Uh, Gav, not not Everton specific, and of course we hadn't up to this point uh, had a game on pay-per-view, but it it sounds this week as though the pay-per-view model for Premier League games uh, is going to bite the dust in favour of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can I can see where the broadcasters are are coming from on it in terms of the reputational damage. I think it was misjudged in terms of the place as well as we all know what times we're living in, uh, and also the fact that the the games that were being shown were not exactly what you would say marquee Premier League games with all with all due respect to the clubs involved. So yeah, I can. I fully support that. It, but as we said before, is it is a ludicrous position in this day and age going forward for future broadcasting deals that you can't watch every game live mm. on a on a legitimate platform, shall we say? You know, I think is it is it's only two countries in Europe or something, isn't it? Where, where, there's only England, Scotland, and Liechtenstein where that <laughs> doesn't happen. You know, it's it's a ludicrous, you know, ludicrous proposition in this day and age that every match is not available live for, for, for supporters to, to watch as part of and, future uh, broadcasting deals. And what was some of the thinking behind the 3pm the 3 blackout as well to help protect um, attendances at grounds and stuff? But, you know, it doesn't seem to, certainly in the Premier League, why would, you know... Yeah, you, it's grounds further down the, down the football yeah. pyramid, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, my, my, uh, you know, my counter to that is, 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 is why do the football league then put um, football league games on on Champions League nights? Mm. Yeah. Um, it's the whole thing's ludicrous. It, 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 go, it goes back to a bygone era to me, and it's not really reflecting what, what supporters um, want. And 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 I. I, I I do get it that if you do that, oh well, will you still get carry on getting full houses for some of the lower game, you know, lower ranking games, shall we say? But it's all about choice, and and I just don't get it. I think, I think this will eventually push that to club only deals, mm. where clubs are responsible for selling their own rights or for some of them, which is muted wasn't it in the. Project Big Picture certainly in eight or nine games abroad being sold, and I just think it's just it's just something that needs to be uh, looked at again in future deals. But I can see why at the moment it's being 
being removed. It wasn't a good look in this in in the times we're living at the moment. Um, and I think they sadly misjudged the, the mood of the of supporters. And I'm t- there was only it was only one Premier League club voted against it um, originally, and it was yeah not a good look at, at the time, and it still isn't now. Yeah. Okay, uh, before we finish, customary predictions time for Everton versus Manchester United at Goodison 12.30 kickoff. Adam, uh, you get to go first this weekend, pal. What do you think will happen? I think it's going to be a tight game. Um, with the amount of with the amount of talk that Carlo Ancelotti's had on, you know, focusing on the defence and, you know, with a number of defenders back, including, you know, potentially Mason Holgate, which I think... Came as a bit of a shock, and you know that would be an amazing thing if you were to if you were to play uh, tomorrow. Uh, I I think Everton might might just keep their second Premier League clean sheet for the season. So I'm going to go for the two 0 win. Wow, good stuff, Preno. Wow, that was ambitious. Um, much as I'd love to see us keep a clean sheet, we just haven't looked likely to do so over the last uh, few weeks. But I just think. The United journey back from Turkey, the moaning about uh, trying to get the game switched, all you know, play a psychological part, you know, sort of in their mindset, and you know, hopefully that means we will finish the game strong. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to be upbeat. I'm going to go for a two-one Everton victory. Okay, Gav. Hey, I'm I'm going to go with uh, what Plano says. <laughs> <laughs> my I, I, I was going to go with what Adam said, but, but I thought Dan Prenos was a better uh, better option purely on the basis that I don't think we've got a prediction right in September. So uh, um, I'm, I'm struggling at the moment, obviously, in the league, I would imagine. Uh, now, I, I, I'm a, I win, but we're not keeping clean sheets at the moment, are we? Which is slightly worrying in itself. Um, but I think 2-1 sounds like a fair, fair result for me. And I... I I was thinking of that honestly, Dave, before we started. <laughs> That's fine by me. What yeah. do they say? Fools seldom differ. <laughs> I, I think what we should do in future, Phil, is we should email you our, our, yes. our scores and then you announce them, which right. adds a little bit of a, a little bit of excitement to the pod, you know. <laughs> we might imagine the tension, and I'm sure the listeners could cope. To be honest with you, yeah, yeah. I, well, I couldn't, you know. <laughs> um, I, I agree with uh, with Preno and Gava. I'm I'm not quite as confident about a clean sheet, and you know, and and, and United are very good on the counter attack, as as uh, as we've mentioned, and you know, of course, our, our way of playing at home is tends to be a higher press and, and try to do things that way, and of course, Richarlison's not playing, so the record books say that we won't win. Sadly, so one one, I think one one. Okay. Chaps, um, thank you very much for your company and uh, thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.